Good morning, Elevation Church. How are you guys doing? Great. I'm glad to hear that. I love when I ask that question and I hear lots of people on both sides of the room saying great. And I know there were some of y'all that didn't say anything and that's okay. You're entitled to a rough day, even a Sunday. Sometimes the pastor has a rough Sunday too. It's all right. You're entitled to that. We'll let you have a rough day. But I'm glad that a lot of you guys are doing good. Hey, we are in week two of a series that we just kicked off last week. We're excited about this series. It's a series called PG Parental Guidance. And the reason I'm excited about the series is because I'm a parent. I've got three daughters from two years old up to 10 years old. And I don't know about you guys, but I could use some parental guidance, some guidance for my parenting. And I know as I look out here, there's several parents that are out here. In fact, I think most everybody here is a parent, is about to be a parent, or wants to be a parent. And some of you guys are grandparents. And so there's everybody here pretty much has some relationship to what I'm about to say. And those of you who don't, there's like a couple of kids in the room. You know what? Y'all need to learn some stuff about parenting too, because as kids... You need to know how to relate to your parents and how your parents are trying to relate to you. And by the way, most of you guys are going to grow up and one day be parents too. So it's a great head start. So parental guidance. We kicked it off last week talking about um, where we find parental guidance. We talked about all the, the parenting experts out there that write books and do television interviews. And then we said there's another alternative. And it's, it's the Bible. And we decided, or at least I decided, I hope you decided with me, that the Bible is a great place to go for parenting advice because the Bible is not silent on the subject of parenting because God, as the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them, which is you, me, our kids, everything, right? As that creator, as our heavenly father, he is the ultimate parent. God is the ultimate parent right? And as God is perfect and everything about him is perfect, that means his parenting is perfect. And if I'm going to model my parenting after anybody else's parenting, I probably want to hitch my wagon to that perfect parenting model, wouldn't you say? And all God's people said amen. Yes. All right. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, if I want to follow somebody's parenting example, why wouldn't I follow the one whose parenting example is perfect? So we opened up God's Word. We discovered that He is indeed our Heavenly Father, that He is the perfect parenting example. We found that the the Scriptures are not silent on the subject of parenting. And as we get into today's uh, topic, I want to tell you that the Bible is very black and white, overt about some topics in parenting and about some other things in parenting. You kind of have to read between the lines or even make some of your own decisions. God gives us some really good and clear parenting principles, some priorities that we need to apply as parents in our families. And it doesn't matter if you're a a single parent family, if you're the traditional nuclear family with mom, dad, three kids, and two and a half dogs, or whatever the, the stats say it is today. It doesn't matter if you're adoptive parents, grandparents, or just the cool aunt and uncle, okay, that do a lot of parenting because the kids are at your house a lot. It doesn't matter where you are in that parenting spectrum. Maybe you're a teacher, and you do a lot. Man, teachers do a lot of parenting these days. Whole other topic for another day. But it doesn't matter. God's parenting principles apply to you, wherever you are. So if you're thinking you're, you're out on this because you're a single parent or because you're an adoptive parent or your grandparents or whatever, you don't check out because God has something to say to you 
And his parenting uh, priorities for the family are very applicable no matter what, wherever you are. And so I want to get into some of these um, overt things, the things that are real black and white and solid. I want to start there today, but we are going to talk later today about some of the things where you have to maybe read between the lines or make some of your own decisions about how to come under God's parenting priorities. But our first premise, our first thing I want to cover today is uh, found in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 1, it's like the easiest book in the Bible to find. It'll be like the fourth page in probably. You know, you get past the table of contents and the the page where they tell you who published it and all of that, and you'll find Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter of the very first book. If you don't have your Bible, it's cool. We got the verses right up here on the screen. Here it is. Let's see what's going on in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's chaos, right? There's no order in what you're reading right there. It's just kind of formless and empty, darkness. It's it's chaos. No order has been brought yet. But in verse 3, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day day. That's order. It started with chaos, and God created order from chaos. He brought order to chaos. And so the first premise that I want to cover today is that God is a God of order. There is an order for everything in his creation. There is an order for, for everything from, from, I mean, look, if we go all the way through Genesis chapter 1, we just keep on reading the account of creation. He separated the water from the land. He he brought um, um, flowers and trees and plants and shrubs. And and then he created the animals, and there was birds of the air and fish of the sea and animals that crawled along the ground, right? You see the order. There's order in everything that he did. And then he created man. He created Adam. And he put Adam in charge of everything that he had created. He even let Adam name the animals, I mean, how many of you guys want to turn over your creation to somebody else and let them start naming the stuff that you created, right? But God, he's a God of order. He created all of this stuff out of chaos. He brought order, and for everything he created, there was an order for it. When he created Adam, he put him at the top of the order, said that he was in charge of and over and had dominion over all of this stuff. And so here we are with the the land and all the vegetation, all the animals, and then man, and man is in charge. And then in chapter 2, in God's creative order, he creates woman, Eve. He said that Adam was incomplete. He needed a a helpmate. And so he took a rib from Adam, and he created the woman, Eve. And when God created Eve and Adam saw Eve, he said, okay, name her. And Adam said, whoa, man. And so we had the name woman. That was funny. You can laugh later. Okay. I'll stop being the comedian. I know I'm not really good at that. So, so God created woman, and, and then in Genesis 2, verse 24, God says this about the man and the woman. He says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. 
The man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So in God's order, we already see that the family is important. He's created the family just almost immediately in the order of creation. He brings the family into being. He creates the man, then he creates the woman, and he brings the two of them together, creating marriage. And he said that marriage is such a priority that in all future generations, the man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the husband and the wife, this marital relationship, in God's order of things is like the most important earthly relationship that any of us will ever have. If you get married, your relationship with your spouse, with your husband or your wife, is your first order priority earthly relationship. Now hear what I said. I said earthly relationship because God has another priority that we need to talk about really quickly before we set any more, you know, go forward any more about the family. The first priority is your relationship with him. God says that uh, the greatest commandment, Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God first. Have no other gods before me, he said. Love God first. So the most important relationship in God's order is a vertical relationship with God. It's a relationship with him directly. The second most important relationship, the primary earthly, primary human relationship is that horizontal relationship with your spouse, okay? So if we're going to get God's order for our lives, God's order for our family right, it starts with a vertical relationship with him, and then the most important earthly relationship is with your spouse. God's a God of order, and that's how he has ordered things for us. That's how he has ordered the family. And if you open or turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul expands on all of this order for the family, which is really where we're going today. We're talking about God's priorities for parenting, God's priorities for the family. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this letter, and in this letter he, he covers instructions for Christian households. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Starts with verse, uh, let's start with verse 22, and we're going to read a couple of verses here, and we're going to expand on God's priorities for the family. We know the first priority is to love God. The second priority, the most important earthly priority, is to, is to connect with your spouse and protect the marriage. And let's see what Paul says to Christian households, Christian families, in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 22. Wives, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's a very unpopular verse. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Some of you ladies don't like me very much right now. It's not me. It's here. Okay, if you've got a problem, talk to him. Don't email me. But if you email me, that's okay. I'll, I, can, I can take it. But you know what? We're going to cover that word submit in a minute. But before we ever get to that, let's, let's look at what Paul is saying here. Because if you, you don't have to look very deep to find out that he's not just talking to wives and that he's not just talking about submission. Paul is talking to wives, but he's also talking to husbands. And what he's saying here is that husbands, gentlemen, before you hear anything about submit, hear this. We need to lead our wives. What did he say? That we're the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
If we're not leading our wives, I can promise you our wives are not going to submit very willingly to us. So gentlemen, if you have one of those difficult brides, ouch, I can relate. If Trina was in here, she's upstairs with our kids right now, and she does an awesome job up there. But if she was sitting right here on the front row, I'd say the same thing I'm about to say. I married a strong woman. And sometimes there is a race for the pants in our family. Like we wake up, and there's a competition to see who's going to be in charge today. And if y'all know the Hamilton family very well, you know that's true. I married a strong woman. Trina can hold her own, okay? My challenge And gentlemen, your challenge is each and every day not to beat them to the race to the pants, that's kind of a joke, but to lead them in a way that even when they are a strong, opinionated, somewhat self-sufficient woman, they can submit to you. They can willingly come alongside you and support you and know that you're leading them in a good way. You're not overpowering them. You're not telling them to be a a doormat or a rug to walk on. You're not treating them like trash. You are doing real leadership. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But guys, too many of us, too many gentlemen, too many men, too many husbands are checking out on that role. They become the captain of their easy chair, the captain of the cable television, And they just come home from work, kick back, and wait on their wife to do all of the work in the house. They wait on their wife to do all of the the child-rearing chores, to deal with the homework, to deal with the discipline, to deal with the laundry and the dishes, to pick out the clothes, to handle all of those things. And yet, Paul says that the husband is supposed to be the leader. The husband is supposed to be the head of the church. Guys, we got to do the job. we got to step up and lead. Now, ladies, lack of leadership in your house does not dissolve the, the responsibilities to submit. And by the way, if you're a single mom... You still, you're not left out of this deal when, when God says that, that the dad, the, the husband is the head of the household. God will fill that role for you, singles, single ladies out there. If you're a single mom, God fills that role. You can lean hard into him as your spiritual leader, as your child's heavenly father, but it is incumbent upon you single moms to lean hard into him to trust him to be that helpmate, that spousal support that you need. To be an example to your children, you've got to point your children towards him. You've got to make sure that they know he is their heavenly father and that they can rely on him and trust him. You've got to look to him for leadership and you've got to teach them to look to him for leadership. So you've got to submit, ladies, to your spouse. Now what does submit mean? When you submit to your husband, as he leads, or even if he doesn't, submitting to him is not, as I said a moment ago, making yourself a doormat. Submit simply means for ladies, wives, to come alongside their husbands, to kind of support them. Back in the account in Genesis, an account of creation, when God created Eve and gave Eve to Adam and Adam to Eve, he, he said this is a helpmate. He said that Adam needed a helpmate, not a doormat, not somebody to boss around, not an employee, not a slave or a servant, a helpmate. 
And when I think about that account of creation, I think about that verse in Genesis chapter 2, when God told them, for this reason, Adam and, and guys, you will leave your family and you will unite with your wife. The two of you will become one flesh. I think God was up to something right there that's bigger than what we might see in the context of marriage. God, I believe, in that context of marriage, in that covenant of marriage, gives us a vehicle to reflect him to our children and to the rest of the world. See, when God made Adam, he poured all of his masculine character qualities into Adam. Adam is a, you know, a worker, a defender, a provider. He's, he's all of God's masculine character qualities. When he creates Eve, he pours all of his feminine character qualities into Eve. Lover and nurturer and all of those things that we look at today and think of feminine character qualities. And then he put the two of them together and he did some cool God math because we all know one plus one equals what? Two. But he said one plus one in this case equals one. And when he brings all of the masculine and all of the feminine character qualities of God together in the marital relationship, the husband and the wife in that one flesh relationship suddenly become a more complete, a more accurate reflection of our perfect heavenly parent. Come on now, that's some cool stuff. I never thought of that when I got married. I didn't know Trina was supposed to complete me, right? If I can steal a line from a pop culture movie, right? Remember Tom Cruise and well, I don't even remember what that movie was. Yeah, Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise staring at, at Renee Zellweger. You complete me. And every woman's heart in the theater melted. And every dude was like, I'll be using that one later. Right? Who knew? He was right. Men, we complete our wives. Wives, when you submit to your husband, you complete him. You come alongside him. And you provide him what he does not have. All of the feminine character qualities of God. That is why Paul says... Wives need to submit to their husbands. Guys, if you think you got off with just leadership, just a little slap on the wrist, hey, we need to lead, check out what Paul says in verse 25. So wives submit, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Dang it. Gave himself up for her. Don't. That's sacrificial love. It's hard for guys to sacrifice sometimes because we're filled with ego and pride. We're men, right? We're men, self-sufficient. I'm in charge here. Woman, you better do what I say. At least in public. We all know better at home. Yeah, you know. I've been married 16 years. Friday was our anniversary. It didn't take me long to figure out how to behave in public and at home, right? No, I'm just, it's a joke. It's a joke, maybe. So we got to submit, and we got we to love. Guys have to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and that is a sacrificial love. What did Christ do when he loved his church? Well, the first thing Christ did in love for his church is he gave up his position, his place in heaven, when he came to live as a man on earth. He, he, he gave up. That position in heaven for a time, as he came and lived on earth as a man, he put on human form and really gave up his godliness to be amongst us, a bunch of sin-stained, messed up guys and girls. And he led us sacrificially by doing that. And at the end of that time, he made the sacrifice that we all identify with so much. He suffered for us sacrificially on the cross. 
to the point where he literally gave up his life for us. And along the way, we see Jesus wash the feet of his disciples. He set an example of, of sacrificial, of servant love and leadership. And gentlemen, husbands, men, if we're going to lead and love our wives as Christ does his church, it starts with being selfless. It starts with loving your wife and putting her at a priority of, of like she is number one in your life. Now, guys, most of us, if we're real honest with ourselves, we're number one in our lives, right? I mean, and ladies, that may be true for you too. I think guys struggle with that pride thing a little bit more. We will put our, our career ahead of our family, ahead of our wife. We will put our recreation ahead of our family, ahead of our wife. We will put our car right? Pride. Ahead of our family, ahead of our wife, we'll spend money we don't have to drive a car that we like to impress people that really don't matter. Ouch. I'm busting on guys a lot, but I'm just saying these things because they're true. And these aren't the things that we're called to do. What we're called to do is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, to give up some of our own rights. I mean, look, do I have the right to recreation? Yeah, man, I work hard. So do you. We work hard all week long. And you have the right to, to do something on Friday night, kick back, watch TV, go out with the guys, maybe head off to go hunt or fish, buy the $40,000, $50,000, dollars $80,000 bass boat, finance it with your 401k. Do you have the right? Sure you do. Is it smart? No. Does it prioritize your wife where she ought to be? No. Your family where it ought to be? No. Sacrificial love, sacrificial leadership sometimes demands giving up our rights. It means giving up our pride. It means putting our ego on the altar and then lighting the fire and sacrificing that for them. Sacrificial love is a never-ending love, too. Jesus didn't stop loving the church, didn't stop leading the church when he died on the cross. I mean, he was resurrected three days later, walked on the earth for 40 days, met with people, hung out, preached, taught. Then he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in followers of Christ and to do his work in the world and to help us live the lives he's called us to live. He didn't stop leading. It's never-ending love. He didn't stop loving. He didn't stop sacrificing. Guys, we can't stop sacrificing. We can't say, well, I've done enough. I've been married for so many years. Our kids are a certain age. We got them all the way through elementary school to high school. I helped my wife change diapers 15 years ago. Can I check out now and just have her bring me a glass of tea or a cold beer from the fridge? Or can I now go do my thing and this and that? You can do all of those things as long as you're loving God, prioritizing your wife, primary in the family. As long as you're leading her in Christ, yeah, you can do all those things. But you got to do those things first. You got to sacrificially love and lead your wife and your family. Hmm. When we do that, wives submit to their husbands, husbands lead and love their wives. That reflection of the two becoming one, the masculine and the feminine being joined together, that reflection to our children is a much clearer, much better, much more accurate, much more impactful reflection of the true nature of our God. And so, I hope you can see why God, in his 
order prioritizes the husband-wife relationship at the top of the family dynamic. Can you see why? Because when the husband and the wife are operating biblically, when we're doing things the way God designed us and calls us to do, when we love God first, we put the marriage first in the family, then we can lead our children biblically. We can lead our children to see and understand and know the Lord. And it starts with our relationship with one another and our relationship with him. And we can't lead them where we ourselves are not going. And so, speaking of kids, Paul actually had something to say to children, too. And so I want to get to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And check out what he says here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And, if I can get my Bible where I can read it, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. The first commandment with a promise. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. So Paul tells children that they need to obey and they need to honor. They need to obey and they need to honor. So when you look at at the order of things now, you see that it's God first, then it's the marriage, and then it's the children. But there's a caveat in what God says about children obeying and honoring, isn't there? What does he say? Obey your parents in the Lord. So mom and dad, if you notice that your children are really disobedient, if they're coloring outside the lines, breaking the rules, doing things that you have told them, asked them not to do, Maybe you ought to check if you are leading them in the Lord. Do you have priority one correct? Do you yourself, husband and wife, single mom, single dad, grandparent, teacher, uncle, aunt, adoptive parent, whoever, whatever you are, do you have your vertical relationship with God first? Have you taken care of that? Do you have that priority in place? Number two, are you relating with your spouse in a biblical way? Have you prioritized your wife or your husband, number one, in the family? Because ladies, just as gentlemen have the temptation to put their job or, or whatever else first, you have a, a temptation to put the children first. And I get it, sort of. I mean, you carry them around with you, literally, for like 10 months, and then there's some pain and kind of an ordeal involved with giving birth to these little creatures and then everything that they do for like the first two years all they want is you all the time and dads I know some of us that want to be real involved dads it gets real frustrating in the middle of the night you run upstairs or wherever the baby's crib is and you're going to try to you know feed the baby quiet the baby change the baby's diaper and the baby just screams and then mom walks in the room after 30 minutes of you beating your head against the wall and the baby's like "Eh," and happy it's no fair But I see why ladies, why moms want to put all of their focus and all of their attention on the children. I get it. I can relate to it, like I said, sort of. I mean, I'm a guy. I don't completely get it, but I think I kind of get it. But that's not what God's called you to. And so if you, ladies, don't have your relationship with your husband as the top priority, and if you husbands don't have your relationship with your wife as your top priority in the family, then where are you leading your children? What reflection of God are you giving them? You ever been to the carnival, been through the fun house with the wacky mirrors? That's what, you know, weird shapes you come at. That, that, that's the kind of reflection 
of God that you're presenting to your children when you've got your marriage or your personal relationship with God out of whack. And so the parenting priorities really matter. It makes a big difference in parenting to get the family prioritized right. Because if you're out of whack in the vertical or the horizontal, and you have those relationships messed up, then, then you lead your children into a warped sense of what the family is and who God is and what his order is. And all of a sudden you have kids who think the world revolves around them. You ever dealt with an entitled kid? If you're a teacher, I know you have. If you're an employer and you've interviewed or you lead people in the workplace and you deal with anybody that's like 30 or under, and I'm just cutting my generation out of that because I don't want to say that we have the same problem, but probably we do. We're entitled. We feel like we're owed something. When I was an employer, when I worked in a, in a church where I actually hired and fired and led a bunch of people and all of that stuff, I would interview these kids, 21, 22, 23, 25 years old, graduating from college, graduating from seminary, and they'd come to work for us, and, and a lot of times they felt like all they had to do was show up to get paid. Like they didn't have to work, they didn't have to produce, they didn't have to do anything. Just had to show up. The job was all about being there, not about doing anything. They're entitled. They think we owe them something just because they like rolled out and got out of bed that day. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we have kids that are so entitled is because they've, a lot of them had a warped view of the world because mom and or dad made their family revolve around them. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I just kind of threw that in as a teaser. So the big picture priorities for the family, God first, marriage second, kids third. Those are the big picture priorities that God lays out for how we should prioritize our family. Now coming up under these priorities, there are some practical protocols that parents, yeah I like the P words today, some practical protocols that we parents can employ in our families that are not spelled out in scripture. These are not the, the blatant black and white, right there in your face, easy to see things. These are things that we can do that apply, that come under these uh, uh, parenting principles. They're just protocols, things that we can do that will help order our family and keep our family in order as we lead our kids and guys, our spouse. So I want to talk about some parenting protocols that fall under the order of God, spouse, kids. The first practical parenting protocol. If you leave here today, you're going to leave here armed with some practical stuff. The first one is this. Make church a priority. Make church a priority for your family. If you're going to have your vertical relationship right and you want your children to have their vertical relationship right, there is no better place to get that relationship right than in the church. Now, don't hear me say, go to church. That's religion. Religion never saved anybody. It's not about your butts being in these seats. It's not. It's not about your kids being up there. Not just about that. That's religion. Going to church for the sake of going to church is just a religious act. Going to church to worship God, to draw close to him, to build relationships with other followers of Jesus, to sharpen yourself, as Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
going to church to learn about who God is, what he has done, and how that matters and impacts and is lived out in your life, that is what I'm talking about, prioritizing church into your family's calendar. Prioritizing church not to go because it's the thing to do, not to go because it's the place to be seen, not to go because it's culturally correct. You don't go to church. We don't do church. You are God's church. You are the body of Christ. I am the body of Christ. We're the hands and the feet. We do what Jesus does. And when we lead our kids that way, A, they love church. And we're going to do everything we can here to make church fun, all right? They're having a blast up there. And if you were here last week, I think it was last week, you heard them like, woohoo, whooping and hollering and yelling and screaming and having a ball. And they're going to do that again today and we may hear it. But we do everything we can to make church fun for kids. I try not to beat you up too bad, so church is kind of fun for y'all too. But we always want you and them to learn something and to leave here changed in some small way. You've got something new in your life that you can apply that helps you either know God or follow God or share uh, Christ with other people. And it all starts with getting that vertical relationship right. It starts with you entering into a saving relationship with Jesus to understand that he is who he says he is, does what he says he'll do that he's the son of God and that he saves you from your sins and, and he took the punishment for you so you don't have to take it and that you'll be able to live eternally with him in heaven but also live a blessed and full life on earth. Starts there. Prioritize the church into your family because you can't lead your kids where you're not going. You can't connect them vertically if you yourself are not connected. Number two, practical parenting protocols. Date your mate. Date your mate. Dating worked for you to build your relationship with your husband and your wife. Y'all went out together. You had fun. You ate dinner. You went bowling. You took moonlit walks on the beach. You did whatever you did, and it worked. Y'all got married. You fell in love. It was good. Why stop? Just because you said, I do. Why do we stop after we get married? We stop dating. Or maybe it's after you had children. It was tough for me and Trina. We started having kids. Before that, it was easy. Date night was like every night, right? It was like, what are you going to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go out. All right. Woo! Date night. Date night for single, uh, for uh, uh, dual income, no kids families. We call them dinks, right? You know? Date night for them is easy. Date night for us married folks with kids and jobs and all this stuff is hard because you're tired. And you come home and you got to make dinner and do homework and then you got to hire babysitters, and it takes a lot of work and forethought. But you know what? Yes, it costs money. Yes, there's an investment of time, an investment of energy. But it's worth it to protect that marital relationship, to keep it number one in the family, to keep that family dynamic from spinning out of control, from becoming kid-centric, to keep the marriage from breaking down, to, to prevent temptations from that guy or that girl at work or on Facebook. It's worth it. You know what? A whole lifetime of dating your mate is cheaper and requires less work than a divorce. And all of you who are sitting in here who have gone through that process, I believe with all of my heart you would agree with me. 
In all of my years of ministry, I've never had one person told me that divorce was the greatest thing that ever happened to them, the best thing ever. It's hard, it's brutal, it stinks, it's expensive, heart-wrenching, breaks other people down, kills the kids' hearts. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. It's not unrecoverable. You can all recover. Some of you are still recovering. Some of you are not there yet, but you've been thinking about it. Stop thinking about it and start dating your mate. Rebuild the relationship. If you're not to the point where you have to rebuild it, just build it and protect it. Date your mate. Trina and I try, and I'll use the word try because I'll confess we're not perfect in this. We're fellow strugglers. We try to make date night happen at least two times a month, at least twice a month. And when I talk about a date, I'm not talking about double dating with another couple. I'm talking about you and your spouse alone together somewhere, maybe in public, maybe in I don't know. Go to dinner and a movie, whatever floats your boat. Date your mate. Guys, take the lead. Remember, we're supposed to be the leaders in the family. Take the lead. You might have to get your wife's phone and get the babysitter's phone numbers because you've never called them, don't even know who they are, maybe not even remember their names. Take the lead. Make a date. Just tell her where to be and what to wear. She'll be thrilled. It'll be like the one time she'll submit with a smile. Right? The first time, maybe, in a long string of really good relational times, good date nights. Number three, prioritize your family calendar. This one's hard. And the more kids you have and the more active your family is, the harder this one gets. Prioritizing your family calendar is really about extracurricular activities. There are a lot of us who grew up playing sports, and we love sports. Or we grew up in the band, and we love the band. And we want our kids to do the things that we did. I'm an Eagle Scout. I loved Boy Scouts. I got three girls Two of them have checked out Girl Scouts. I mean, I want them to be involved in something like that. I played football. I played soccer. Um, our girls are very active. My wife played soccer, was like uh, all Texas, all state goalie in, in high school. And we're a very active, outdoorsy, sports-loving family. But we have a rule in our house. Our kids can do one sport and one activity simultaneously. So if they want to be in Girl Scouts... They can be on the swim team, which they are, or they can do gymnastics or play guitar or whatever else, but they can do two extracurriculars, period. One activity and one sport. An activity for me is like the scouts or the musical instrument or whatever. And then a sport. That's just that simple. Why? Well, let's just start off with this. Because practices for a lot of these sports, especially as the kids get a little bit older, like we got a fifth grader, a fourth grader, and a two-year-old, right? So we have softball one night a week. We have swim practice four nights a week. If they're in Girl Scouts, that's another night a week. So there's a, now we're overlapping uh, uh, two activities on one night. And then there's swim meets on Saturdays and there's softball games on Saturdays. And when we played soccer, we had soccer games on Sundays, which was a major no-no, right? I mean, you can see right now where... How do you have a priority relationship with your spouse when your entire evening is spent shuttling kids from one place to the next, doing everything revolving around them? How can you have date night where you're paying for dinner and a movie and a babysitter for one, two, maybe three kids when you're spending all of your money on soccer balls, soccer cleats, soccer uh, shorts, um, league fees, come on, are you kidding me? League fees. They play softball, they buy a batting helmet, a $100 bat, a $40 glove, $25 cleats. Then they pay the tournament fees on top of the league fees. Are you kidding me? 
And then you get into select and club and all of that mess, and you're writing four and five digit checks just to get in. And then you buy the uniforms, plural, and then you start traveling to, you know, at first it's just to Tyler. Oh, it's just, you know, it's a day trip. But then the next season it's to Kansas City, and it's a weekend trip. And now where are your priorities? Now you're out of church. You haven't had date night in two years. All of your finances are going to feed your child's sport activities. And all of your time revolves around them. The family vacation becomes wherever the the big summer tournament is. Do you see the problem? Prioritize your family's calendar according to God's big picture priorities for the family. God first, spouse second, then the kids. And I don't mind making my family vacation revolve around a, a sports activity if it fits the family dynamic. You know, Megan qualified to go to Nationals next year on the swim team. Nationals next year is held in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The kids are so excited to go to Hershey, Pennsylvania. If I told them we were going anywhere else on our family vacation, there would be a revolt, right? Because what's in Hershey, Pennsylvania? Chocolate and lots of it. And roller coasters too, bonus, okay? So I'm not trying to be a Nazi and I'm not telling you to be. I'm just saying, look at that calendar, look at the activities you have on it, and check, do those activities fit the priorities of the family? Make that a protocol, that check of the calendar. Fourth protocol for parenting. We're, we're going to stop at four. I don't think I can go any further for time. we got tons. We could go for days about this stuff. Bedtime. If you got little kids or big kids, I don't care. Bedtime. I almost got in a fist fight with my dad when I was 15 years old because I still had a bedtime. And I was mad. But you know what? I'm 39 years old now, and I look back on that, and I understand why I had a bedtime and a curfew at 15 years old. Some of you young teenagers right now are like, curse you, pastor. Shut up. <laughs> bedtime. Why a bedtime? Why does bedtime matter? Of course, we all use bedtime for our little kids, don't we? Right? I mean, pretty much everybody has a bedtime for their little kids because we want to sleep at some point. But when they get older and they don't, you know, hassle you anymore, it's easy to let the bedtime go. Don't do it. Don't buy into that. Your kids aren't ready to set their own bedtime when they're 10 or 11 years old. Why is a bedtime a practical parenting priority? For several reasons. Number one, out of love. If you love your child, the discipline of a bedtime is critical. Kids need sleep. Period. There's not a doctor or a psychologist or any kind of good clinical study out there that's going to argue. Most of them would say minimum of 10 hours of sleep all the way up into their end of their teenage years. 10 hours. So that means if your teenager is going out and coming home at 1 or 2 a.m., you've got to let them technically then sleep till like noon the next day, which we never let happen as parents, do we? Right? That's not fair. If I ain't sleeping till noon, by God, you're getting up. <laughs> and because it doesn't make sense to let them sleep till noon anyway. Bedtime, because they need it physically, emotionally, mentally. Your children need sleep. The second reason, because so do you need sleep. 
And when they're up at home even, either they're making noise or you're wondering what's going on, you're checking on them, or the potential is there for that to happen. When they're out, you know you're not sleeping. Or at least my parents never did. I always came home and found at least one of them awake. It used to irritate me because my curfew, man, I couldn't sneak in one minute after curfew without getting busted because one of them always had at least one eye open. They might have been in bed, lights off, everything's quiet in the house, but as soon as I crept back to my bedroom, mom or dad won. Todd, is that you? Oh, <coughs> yes, it's me. <coughs> Bedtime because your kids need sleep. They need order. They need rules. Bedtime's just one rule. We could talk about rules for days. God's a God of order. Everything he has has an order. Children should have order in their lives. They crave it. They desire it. They will rebel against it, but they need it. And they really, really want it. And if you will give it to them, bedtime again is just one way. You will see positive results from it. Yes, they might rebel in the beginning. Yes, they may fight you about it. Your 15-year-old may bow up and want to throw punches like I did. Bedtime is a practical parenting priority. Make the bedtime appropriate for the age and the maturity level of your child. You know, if you're sending your 15-year-old to bed at 8 o'clock, I don't blame him for bowing up. I'm just going to say it. It's not right. I don't blame him, though. All right? Make it appropriate for your child. Know what kind of sleep they need. Know their personality. Know their maturity level. Know how they handle that. And then set an appropriate bedtime. But when you do that, when you put those kinds of disciplines, those kinds of rules like a bedtime in place, it communicates to your child that you love them, that you care about them, and that you're willing to protect them for their own good, even though they rebel, grumble, bow up, whatever. If they don't now, they will later respect it, and they'll understand it, and they'll appreciate it, and they'll thrive better because of it. So, we got three parenting priorities God's order for the family. Number one is love God. God is always your number one relationship. You've got to take care of the vertical before you worry about anything else. If you get this one wrong, you'll get all of these wrong. Okay? First priority is God. Second priority on the horizontal plane, it's your number one earthly, number one human relationship is with your spouse. Right? And then your children. That's God's priority order for the family. God first, spouse second, then the children. Some practical parenting priorities we've talked about today. Making church a priority. Do we understand why? Not if you do. Yeah? Because if you don't make it a priority, you can't lead your kids where you're not going. Number two, dating your mate. Protecting that marital relationship. Defending against temptation. Setting the right tone for your kids. Setting the right example for your kids so that they see that reflection of God with all the masculine and feminine character qualities working together. Are we going to get it right 100% of the time? Are we going to be a perfect reflection? No. But if you do the practical things, that, like date night, so much the better. So that when you do screw up, God's grace is enough to cover some of those things because they see such a great example. All right? Prioritizing the family calendar. Again, keeping those extracurricular activities under control. Not letting your family slide into the, the easy thing, which really is the hard thing, but that's being a, a kid-centric household where you chase the kids and everything revolves around them. You set them up for failure later in life as adults because they think everything revolves around them. And kids already have that leaning anyway. They don't need it reinforced by mom and dad or anybody else, right? And then 
bedtime. And bedtime is just one example, as I said, of a whole set of disciplines and rules and things that will help your child thrive and grow and know God. Okay? Practical parenting priorities, practical parenting protocols. When we do these things, when we set that example, when we reflect God as clearly as we can in all of our human imperfection, it sets our children up for success. And ultimately, isn't that what every parent wants for your child? Don't you want your children to have the life you had and then some? To have the life you have and then some? To be a little better than you? Have more? Have a better connection to God? Be more spiritually grounded? Have a more successful career? A more successful family? Don't we want that for our children? Anything less than God's priorities for the family sets them back and sets them up to fail in the big picture, long-term, and even now in the immediate, in the short-term. 